0: All right. Well, let's uh, turn to Revelation chapter one. Last week, if you weren't here last week, uh, we did an introduction to the book of, Je- of uh, Revelation. Uh, Genesis on my mind here. We got the book uh, the bookends going, you know, Genesis on the weekend and Revelation on Wednesday night. So, good. Y'all hearing me? Okay. Everything sounds all right. Good. All right. Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter one. I'm going to read verses one through eight. We're going to look very carefully at verses 1 through 5 this evening. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now take note of verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And notice this, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, if I were to ask you to write down several things that you never thought you'd see in a lifetime, what would you list? Think about that for just a moment. If I were to ask you to write down several things that you never thought you'd see in a lifetime, what would you put down? I don't know about you, but even 15 years ago, I never thought that I would be teaching from this iPad. Never thought it would ever be possible that I... Mr. Old Fashioned, Mr. Traditional would be teaching from that. Never thought it. Crazy, isn't it? And even that long ago, I I never thought that I would be searching the World Wide Web on my cell phone. How many of you do that every day? On your browser, on your phone. How many of you remember a cell phone when they first came out and they looked like about this big? And you really couldn't put them in the back pocket, you know. Those of us old enough, we never thought we'd have anything like that. Never thought it would happen. Back when I started pastoring the church nearly 30 years ago, I wrote my notes out longhand. Honestly, I never used a pencil, always used a pen. Well, no, sometimes I used a pencil. But I would write out my notes longhand, and I would eventually transfer them to a circa 1940 Underwood typewriter. How many of you had an Underwood? Oh, you guys are old. (laughs) Old, old people in this place today. An Underwood typewriter. belonged to my dad, and I I still have it here. It's in in our museum upstairs. I, I still have it. Well... Call that tech-savvy, man. That was as tech-savvy as I was. But now look at everything that's going on today. I I never thought that there would be cars that you plugged in to get electrical power into them, you know, to drive them. The first time I heard about that, I thought, man, you really have to have a long extension cord if you're going to take a trip. But I guess they worked it out. But I'll tell you this. uh, Give me a 57 Chevy any day. That, to me, that's class. That's the way to get around. So, so you, what would you put down? I mean, you know, don't, you know, think, just think about all of those things in, in, your time, in, in your time. Is it any wonder, though? Is it any wonder why so many people are so fascinated, even, even obsessed with the future? What it's going to be like? I remember years ago, back in the 80s, actually, Anybody remember the 80s, by the way? I, I have faint remembrances of the 80s. Uh, being a musician, I, I thought the 80s was one of the worst times for music, but anyway, that was just me. So I never listened to it. But anyway, back in the 80s, there was a, a Christian group uh, called Daniel Amos. They came out of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. And, and, they, and they by the 80s, they, they started you know, wearing their hair like, you know, the, the punk thing, you know, and stuff. And they were reaching a lot of kids for the Lord. And, but they did, a, they did an album in which they had a song called It's the 80s, So Where's My Rocket Pack? And, and it, was a, it was a great song because it talks about you know, all these things that, that we've imagined through science fiction and thinking that the, all of these things are going to be happening. But here we are now in, in the 21st century and we're still as bad off as we were back then when it comes to the way we treat one another and sin and all of that kind of stuff. What has it brought us? But people are still obsessed with the future. Even in modern times, many have faithfully read horoscopes or sought out tarot card readers, visited uh, palm readers, or call, they call their psychic hotlines. And, and now all of that is easily accessed online. Some of you have heard me talk about the psychic hotline, you know, back when they were doing those commercials with Dionne Warwick. And I thought Dionne Warwick, everybody remember Dionne Warwick? You know, here, this is old folks' day today, so I'm just bringing all these names up. But Dionne Warwick, you know, okay, she's doing a, a commercial for Psychic Hotline, and I'm thinking, you know what, this is, uh, this is not truth in advertising here, because she sang a song where she said, do you know the way to San Jose? Well, you should have asked your Psychic Hotline. You know, I thought you were so, you know, understanding of all of that but now you can get online and you have all of that stuff available in a more serious way though others have delved into the occult by seeking out mediums who who advertise that they can actually consult the dead on behalf of the living not realizing that the dead cannot truly respond but demons do masquerading as the dead and spreading lies In the process That's why Israel was told in Isaiah chapter 8 Verse 19 And when they shall say unto you Seek unto them that have familiar spirits Which are mediums by the way And unto wizards that peep and that mutter Which are spiritualists or spiritists And necromancers or necromancers Should not a people seek unto their God? That's the question that they even had to, you know, had to be asked of Israel. Shouldn't you just seek your God? Not not, not these mediums and all? For the living to the dead? I mean, in other words, you're, you're going to ask the dead about the living? And then in verse 20 it says, to the law and to the testimony. That's the answer here. To the law and to the testimony. That's where we're to go. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That is true today as it was in Isaiah's time. If they don't speak from the Word of God, then there is no light in them. And all these types of attempts to discern and to know the future are in vain. And what people must know is that there is only one person who knows and declares the future, and that is the Almighty God who created all things. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... The God of the Bible. The God of the Hebrew Scriptures. The God of the Old and the New Testament. As it says in Isaiah 44 verses 6 through 8. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people. And notice this, and the things that are coming and shall come. God has declared it. Let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no God. Or he says, yea, there is no God. I know not any. In the next chapter in Isaiah 45, verse 21 It says, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge uh, that uh, set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Now notice this. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God Uh, else beside me, I just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. In the next chapter in Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else, I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Didn't give you that one, did I? There it is. So, only in the Word of God then. Only in the Word of God can truth about the future be found. Only in the Word of God. you understanding this, right? All right. Only in the Word of God can truth about the future be found. This is so essential to our study of the book of Revelation simply because the very first verse of the opening chapter introduces us immediately to the central theme of the book, namely, Jesus Christ in His present and future glory. If you write anything down about verse 1, it is that we see Jesus Christ in His present and future glory. And that is not only to describe verse 1, that is to describe all of the book of Revelation. We are instantaneously presented with the prophetic and futuristic character of the book in the words of verse 1. Again, I want to repeat that because I want you to understand why we're here tonight. And why everybody should be here tonight. We are instantaneously, instantaneously presented with the prophetic and futuristic character of the book of Of Revelation in the words of verse 1. And again, it says, The revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent it and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, as we learned last time, the word revelation is the translation of the Greek word apocalypsis, which means a revealing. And I put it up here in case you weren't here last week to give you an idea of the the, uh, definition. But it is a a revealing, a, a disclosing, or an unveiling. Now, I want you to take hold of these three words because they're important to our understanding of this first verse. It means a revealing, a disclosing, or an unveiling. It is an an unveiling of truth. It is an unveiling of truth about and concerning Jesus Christ Himself. That's what we talked about last week. The whole of the book of Revelation is about the revealing of Jesus Christ. It is a disclosing. It is a disclosing of future events. Specifically, the second coming of Christ. Of course, that's down the road ways, but that is what is going to be disclosed. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus not promise that he was going to come again? All right. see, that's the thing. Jesus said he's going to come again, but half the church today, I shouldn't say half, but a good portion of the church today doesn't think about the second coming. They don't have any desire, as we said last week, there are some people who just don't have a desire to read the book of Revelation because they're they're afraid there's too much mystery about it. But the very first word that matters in the book of Revelation is, it's an unveiling, it's not a mystery, it's going to be revealed. And that's why we're here. So it is a disclosing of future events, and then it is a revealing that comes from God Himself, given to His Son, To be presented to all his church through the Apostle John. It has been given. God the Father to his son Jesus. Jesus to the Apostle John. A witness, an eyewitness of of Jesus at his first coming. And one who is to declare the coming of Jesus again. And then to the church. Not just to seven churches. Even though it was written initially to seven churches, it is for the whole of the church. And we'll see that when we get into chapters 2 and 3. So now the substance of the revelation is offered to us as things which must shortly come to pass. Things which must shortly come to pass. A significant expression that finds its basis in the prophetic writings of the Hebrew Scriptures. Used in one form or another in 213 verses of the Bible. Things which must shortly come to pass. Now it's found in various forms, but it's, it's the same idea. Things which will come to pass. For example, let's look at Daniel chapter 2 verse 28 and verse 29 it says in verse 28 there of uh, Daniel chapter 2 but there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets Now see, that's what we're seeing happen in the book of Revelation God is going to reveal what has been hidden for a time and so those things will be revealed which means there will be no longer secrets no more, no more mystery here okay So there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter day. So that's kind of referring then to what is to come. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, let's look at verse 29. Hello. There it is. It says, As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. Notice what should come to pass hereafter. Very similar to what we saw in Revelation when it says things which must shortly come to pass. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that it revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. That's one example. Then in Joel, chapter 2, verse 28... And 29, Oh, I'm sorry, not 20, uh, 28 and 32, but we'll get to 32 in a second. Notice here in Joel 2, verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward. So already there we see it again. That I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And we know that that particular verse of Scripture was actually fulfilled when? At Pentecost, where? In Jerusalem, when? After... The hundred and twenty had gathered and the Spirit had come upon them. So, fulfill prophecy. But it shall come to pass afterward. In verse thirty-two of that same chapter in Joel, it says, And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord Shall call, and I only brought that one up because you see, we're recipients of that blessing. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Because that's really important for your eternal eternal life. That you call on the name of the Lord. So to understand now, look. So to understand what John meant by things shortly coming to pass, we have to know the basis of the words entake, which is in the Greek, uh, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass. It comes from a word tacos, T-A-C-H-O-S, not tacos like here on the border. I just want to make that clear. Entake, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass. I know what some of you do with those tacos. You eat them very quickly, too. But that's not what we're dealing with. So it's it's entake, quickly or suddenly coming to pass, indicating a rapid execution. Indicating a rapid execution of things after the beginning takes place. So you have to understand this. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. Things that shortly come to pass... You would say, well, that's 2,000 years ago. What John was referring to, and that is what that phrase, why that phrase is so important is, that when things begin to happen, they're all going to happen like this, rapid succession. Things will shortly come to pass, then boom, 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 it's going to take place. The thought isn't that an event may occur soon, but when the event does occur, it will be sudden and quick. That is why we're so, uh, we're we're so much taking, you know, uh, that's why things, uh, we're so much. uh, That's the way things are taking place so much in this day and time. And have actually taken place in that manner over the past half century, over the past 60 years. We never thought, and a lot of people did. I mean, people who did study prophetic scripture from a futuristic position always believed that Israel was going to play a part even before 1948. But that was because they studied the scriptures very carefully in a futuristic interpretation. And then, when Israel was born in 1948, as we mentioned last week, then have not things happened in rapid succession since? Now, there have been other prophetic things happening, but uh, few and far between. But now things are are, are rolling a lot quicker while we see them happening today. But I want you to consider something in Matthew 24, and I had that slide up here just a second ago. But in verses 6 to 8... They're in the Olivet Discourse, where they're on the Mount of Olives. Jesus has been pointing out certain things about the temple to his disciples. But anyway, when they ask him about uh, about when all of these things were going to take place, he said in verse 6, he said, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. There were wars taking place before 1948, right? I mean, major wars, two world wars took place. There were a lot of wars in between and, 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 and since that time or before that time. What has happened since then, though? War after war after war. Rumor of war all the time. I mean, you know, we had a time when we lived during... Many of us lived during the Cold War. Remember the Cold War? But they, those were that's when the rumors of war really began. But, but Jesus says, See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass... But the end is not yet. So he he was kind of giving us an idea that when they start happening, they'll really start happening. You go to verse 7, it says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And you can examine these things over and over, even on on the internet today, and and look at timelines, and you begin to look at at, at statistics about how much more things of these types are happening within the last hundred years than they did in the last uh, thousand years before that. And then it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So again, John is is pointing to a time that when these things begin, then things will happen in rapid succession. So once the ball begins to roll, events begin to happen in that rapid succession. Now another important word to pay attention to prophetically in the first verse of Revelation is the word "signified." Let's look at that one more time. You see the word signified there And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John The word signified The word signified comes from the Greek word "semino." "Semino" it, it means to give a sign or to signify It is related to the word semeion A semion is a sign or a mark or a token. Now, the related English word to those words is the word symbol. It is related to those words, semino and semion. It is the word symbol, s y m b o l. Symbolism. You understand that word there. That's that's where that word comes from now John used the word in his gospel the miracles that John focused on were called signs which meant uh, to show us something deeper about who Jesus was they were signs to point to the deity of Jesus Christ they were signs to point to the fact that he was indeed Messiah Messiah the book of Revelation is going to have another level or layer of signs. We, we will see lots of symbolic language used in the book of Revelation. And for the most part, it, it's not hard to tell when you're reading language that is meant to be symbolic in distinction to the literal interpretation, which we will also encounter in the text. If we look at things from a futuristic perspective, much of what we're going to study in the book of Revelation is going to be literal. The problem again with the other viewpoints that we talked about a little bit last time is that if you do not see them from the futuristic perspective, which is what prophecy is supposed to really awaken in us then you have to say these things have already happened, which of course they haven't. And so all your timelines are thrown off. And uh, we can't just say that they're all spiritual in the sense of just, it's some kind of a symbol, you know. So then it comes down to this this kind of interpretive thing of being just spiritual signs rather than real things that are going to happen. There are literal things throughout the book of Revelation But there are also symbolic things There's no doubt about that But if we look at it from a futuristic perspective Or from a prophetic perspective Then you will be able to see clearly when one is literal And when another is symbolic That is what I'm trying to point out here So let me give you an example And notice the use of the word sign here It's actually in the King James it's the word wonder But let's look at Revelation 12 verse 1 and there appeared a great wonder. Now that's the word "simeon," sign. There appeared a great wonder or a sign in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. It's symbolic here. And we're not going to go into the symbolism of that particular verse today. Some of you are already drawing pictures in your mind about it. But we're not going to talk about that. But that's the point. There will be certain symbolic things that we will have to uh, address and interpret. But it will be easy to interpret because in the studying of the book of Revelation, we have to work at navigating through the text and try to figure out when the language is literal and when it is symbolic. So usually it is not as hard as it looks. So I'm just encouraging you all, it's not going to be a difficult thing when we get to those uh, issues. But usually, you know, the symbolic language used by John is easily explained from other parts of the Bible, and sometimes it is even explained in the book of Revelation itself. And so the book of Revelation was delivered by God's angel, which is the word for messenger, uh, to John, the apostle, as a book that communicates in signs. But the signs, if they can be interpreted, will always be interpreted To be a literal event or a literal thing or a literal happening or a literal person. And we'll, again, talk about that as we go along. John describes things that he has seen, but can only describe them in his own language and manner. How would you describe heaven if you've never been there? How would you describe heaven if you've never been there? You would have to try to find things that people could kind of relate to. There's a word in in scientific and theological study, it's called anthropomorphism. Anthropos is a word for man, you know, mankind. So the study of man is anthropology. But an anthropomorphism is is using terminologies about man to describe things that are much higher than man is. And this is what John has to use. When he begins to describe things later on in the book of Revelation that sound like, you know, how, how, how does he make these locusts, you know, uh, as big as, you know, helicopters and all of that. You know, we're, we're going to talk about all of that eventually. But this is how he has to describe them. The Lord allows John to do that. Because then we can relate to the sign to see the interpretation. Now, John the author is the same John who wrote the gospel and the three letters to the churches. He wrote Revelation around 95 to 96 AD, while he was in exile on the island called Patmos, which is a barren volcanic island located in the Aegean Sea about 32 miles from Ephesus during some of the harshest Roman persecutions against Christians during the reign of Domitian. John lived longer than any of the other disciples and the apostles. Some believe that he died when he was around 100 years old. John was the only one that was not actually martyred Uh, for his faith although many stories have been told about John and the fact that certainly he had to have been because he was uh, persecuted as as an apostle of Jesus Christ Uh, there are again stories that are told by uh, people of the times following John's life that he was in fact there was an attempt to uh, kill him, to execute him. Some believe by putting him in a vat of oil, hot oil, but that he came out of that. And that uh, that happened mainly because this was done sometime in, in 70s or 80s A.D. and had not yet written the gospel nor the letters nor the book of Revelation. So, there are stories of that nature that you might be reading from time to time about the life of John. But suffice it to say that John lived longer than all the other uh, apostles, and he was given the privilege of giving, receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you look at verse 2 now of Revelation chapter 1, it says, "...who bear record," speaking of John, "...who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ." And of all things that he saw. I have some tremendous things that we hear John write about. You know, we all know how he begins the gospel. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he gives testimony of that as one who actually saw him. And then when he begins his first letter to the church... In 1 John, he talks about that experience of having been an eyewitness of the person of Jesus Christ, having touched Him, having heard Him, having been with Him. So he gives proper identification, proper witness of the person and work of Jesus Christ in his, in his writings. So here, uh, speaking of John, yet being the, the author of this book... He speaks of himself as one who bear record of the word of God, of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. John not only bore witness or testified of the word of God, but he bore witness of his receiving it. He not only bore witness of the word, as we know to be Jesus Christ, and, and the word of God being the spoken word, but he also bore witness of receiving this revelation. It has added, uh, it has the added weight of being the testimony. And by the way, the word testimony and witness both come from the word, the Greek word martus, which is the word from which we get martyr from. And here is, when it's, it speaks of the testimony of Jesus Christ, it is the martyra, or the marturia, I should say. The marturia, which again, is the witness or the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it has the added weight of being the testimony of Jesus Christ, and John is a complete... John's receiving is a complete recitation of everything that he saw. In other words, verse 2 here simply states that John was an eyewitness to all that he was allowed to see. And then he writes in verse 3... Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now this is a tremendously meaningful and powerful verse of Scripture. The very fact that you all are here tonight and were here last week, it gives indication that you're taking seriously the fact that That you want to be blessed by God. Am I right? I certainly want to be blessed by God. And whenever there is something in the Word of God that says, if you do this, I'm going to bless you, then I mean, we ought to run to it. And I saw many of you running here tonight. Maybe not physically, but you were running. You were anxious. You wanted to get here. Why? Because there's a blessing here for those who read, hear, and keep the word of this prophecy. And I find it so interesting that some churches today hold, you know, some churches that hold to liturgical traditions and have public and individual readings for their congregants to be practiced throughout their liturgical calendars, they are usually omitting readings from the book of Revelation. Many of them that do not hold to a futuristic view of the prophetic books of Scripture more than likely consider it a fanatical thing to dig deep into the prophecy of this book. And I've spoken to people over the past 40 years of having been a believer in Jesus Christ and of loving the book of Revelation it was one of the first books that really got my eyes open to what was happening. I came to the Lord back in, 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 in the very, very early 70s. Back when there was a lot of things being written, uh, starting to be written about, about the book of Revelation. And things were beginning to make a lot more sense than than ever before. And there were just people who just didn't ever look at it that way. And they just said, well, you're just a, you're just a f- fanatic. Conspiracy theorist, you know. (sighs) What about the blessing? The reality is that revelation is for anyone that wants to be blessed. Now, folks, do you want to be blessed? I do. That's why I'm here. (laughs) I want to be blessed. But I want you to be blessed. And here we have a three-fold blessing. is not just a blessing. This is a three-fold blessing. It's one super blessing. Blessed is he singular. Did you notice that? Blessed is he singular that readeth. Blessed are they, plural, that hear the words of this prophecy. And then together, reader and hearer, and blessed are they that keep those things which are written therein. What you need to understand about that statement is that since not everyone had a copy of this book, there was one copy. There was the original manuscript written by John or his secretary but more than likely written by John himself. Then there were copies made of that <coughs> to distribute to the, the churches, <coughs> the seven churches, and when they made copies of these manuscripts, they were very careful about everything that they wrote in them. But they didn't have a printing press. They, they didn't have Lifeway. They didn't even have Safeway. They didn't have any place like that. What they would have is, is a person who they would have considered as their elder, their pastor, who would have received the letter, and he would have read it to them. Blessed is he that readeth. Got it? And they that heareth the words of this prophecy. And together, blessed are they that keep these words so a special blessing was given to the one that read the book to the listeners but but those who heard were also blessed and for both the reader and the hearers it was important that they keep which means to fulfill to observe and to pay attention to what was written fulfill observe and pay attention to that which was written And this was all written in the present tense, did you also notice that? It's written in the present tense to imply continued reading, continued hearing, and continued observing. And that is the way we're supposed to read the whole of the Word of God as well. It isn't to say, oh, I finally read all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I can put it away and just kind of... I've arrived some, some pe- I've met some people have read this, the Bible 50 times in their lifetime and they say every time I open the book I learn something new every time I read I learn something new about God's grace God's mercy every time I can't wait to read it again is that your heart toward God's word? Can it begin tonight by being the hard attitude that you want to have in the book of Revelation? If you can have that kind of excitement about reading the book of Revelation and coming to a greater understanding of it, that's the way we need to read the rest of the Bible. So there is no other book in Scripture that contains such a direct promise of blessing. I mean, there are blessings in all the other books. But not about reading that book like this one very special blessing now in fact there are seven beatitudes and if you remember the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew Matthew chapters 5 and 6 what do we learn about the beatitudes there in chapter 5 they were all blessings Blessings blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are they blessed are the peacemakers those are beatitudes those are blessings so in the book of revelation there are actually seven beatitudes or blessings pronouncing blessings in the book of revelation we'll talk about them later because we you know we're going to get to them eventually all of them and these of course being uh, here the first ones mentioned why would there need to be seven promises of blessings why would there need to be seven promises of blessings Well, there seems to be anticipation by the Holy Spirit that many would neglect this book or even ignore its prophetic revelation. Has that happened in history? Yes, it has. Is it happening today? Unfortunately, it is. The Lord is saying, man, I've got seven blessings here I want to give you. If you'll take my word seriously. It is quite significant that one book in the New Testament. That the one book in the New Testament that prays and beseeches and entreats a special blessing on the reader. Should too often be left unread. And because of that it is also the one that everybody says I don't understand. Now we know why they don't understand. Because they don't read it. And they don't study it. So, you see what a blessed crowd you are tonight. What a blessed people you are. Man, you get to go out of here today blessed. Because you have come to understand this book. But now consider, if you will, two phrases in this verse. Verse 3. The words of this prophecy. You see it? There in the second line. The words of this prophecy. Which implies that the book of Revelation is as a whole prophetic. It is a prophetic book. It is the prophecy book of the New Testament. But there's a second phrase, for the time is at hand, the last phrase. For the time is at hand. Which stresses the importance of the prophecy. It stresses the importance of the prophecy. What we do in the present, in other words, must be done with eyes and hearts on the future. Must be done with eyes and hearts on the future. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope. Notice, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. What a tremendous... Tremendous statement Paul makes. We live in the present with our eyes and our hearts on the coming of Jesus Christ. If we stop looking for Jesus, you can pretty much realize that the present is not where it needs to be for anyone. Being in God, in Christ. Through the struggles, through the heartbreaks, through the troubles, yes... We'll all go through them. But we need to renew our vision of the coming of Christ. Jesus made it so clear to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go... I'm going to return and gather you unto myself so that where I am there, you may also be. Is that not a a promise that you, you want to look for, that you want to keep your eyes on? That's John 14, by the way, verses 1 through 3. Well, John is writing, of course, as led by the Holy Spirit. The seven churches, and, and, and they are the recipients of the prophecy, but they represent all the church in all times. And again, we'll see that as we get into uh, chapters two and three. But Revelation chapter one, verse four, it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, Asia would be actually, as we'll see in a moment, uh, the area of what is now Western Turkey, the modern Western Turkey and areas around Western Turkey. So he says, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So first of all, John identifies himself as the author and mentions his recipients as the seven churches which are in Asia, which he lists, by the way, in verse 11. So look down at verse 11 uh, as he records the words of Jesus to him. In Revelation 1, verse 11, Jesus says to John, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. I didn't give you that, did I? There it is. Unto Ephesus. Church number one, Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now, when we get to chapter two, I'm going to have a map and a chart to show you where these churches are. Very interesting layout as to how, those mes- how the, the messages came to these seven churches. We'll talk about that when we get there. But now, certainly there were other churches, by the way, in the Roman province of Asia Minor. There were other churches. I mean, Colossians was one of those churches. The churches of Galatia, and there were others, and Lydia and and, uh, and and what. Now we can go down through a whole lot of lists, and we'll deal with that issue in chapters two and three. But a standard, you know, but 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 here he's you know he's, he's given it to these seven churches in particular. And we'll deal with that. Uh, a standard biblical greeting is given by John, which is a very similar greeting given by Paul to all the churches that he wrote to. Grace be unto you in peace. Standard greeting. Grace unto you in peace. But it it wasn't just a standard greeting as if we just say, hey, what's up? Right? Because, you know, a lot of times we do that. Hi. Hi, I'm John. It has a lot of meaning to it. To... Offer a blessing of grace and peace. This greeting actually introduces a, a benediction or a blessing from the triune God. The triune God. The Trinity. Verses 4 and 5. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the princes of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Let's examine these particulars of these two verses here. And I'll go back here to verse 4 for just a moment. Because the phrase from Him which is and which was and which is to come identifies for us the first person of the Trinity, which is of course God the Father, who even though He is timeless, no beginning, no end. And even though He is timeless, He is described in terms only that we can understand in the time dimensions of past, present and future yet we know him to be the eternal God and the eternal God is indeed the source of all the blessings of salvation all the blessings of grace all the blessings of peace in all of their fullness God is the supplier and the source of all of those blessings so John says grace and peace unto you from Him." Who is, or Him which is, and which was, and which is to come. That's God the Father. Because then, we see the seven spirits mentioned. Coming from the seven spirits as well. The seven spirits which are before His throne. This, of course, refers to the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that there is only one Holy Spirit. But the number seven... Is significant because it depicts him in his fullness as we see in, in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 so let's turn there because in Isaiah 11 verse 2 it says and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom so you count the first one being the spirit of the Lord himself the spirit shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit in all of his glory and in all of his fullness sends grace and peace to believers. Now, did you know that when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ that you were filled with the Spirit of God? Because we can and it happened before we even said yes to the Lord. Why? Because we can't even say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. God had already prepared us for that and gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can, with all of our hearts, say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is who He is as our God, and as our King, as our Messiah, as our Savior, as our Redeemer. And we can only say that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So then realize that in all of His fullness... He has sent us grace. He has sent us his undeserved favor, and he has sent us his peace, his Shalom, which is of course, the Hebrew of that peace, that is the wholeness of God and the completeness of God. He is called the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace in Hebrews 10:29. I'm not going to put it up here because of time, but in Hebrews 10:29, he is called the spirit of grace. And of course, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 is peace. So you see, the Holy Spirit has His part in rendering peace unto God's people. But grace and peace also flow from Jesus Christ. Grace and peace also flow from Jesus Christ, who is... Notice what it tells us, going back over to verse 5... Oh, we're in the wrong way, sorry. There we go, there it is. From Jesus Christ, notice what he's called. The faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. And it is only fitting that he is mentioned last by John, and a greater description is given of him, being that he is the substance and the theme of the book of Revelation. Yes, the Father is mentioned he which is who was and which is and which is to come and the seven spirits of, of God are mentioned but look at how Jesus is mentioned he is mentioned as the faithful witness the first begotten from the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth as the faithful witness he is the one who always speaks and represents the truth jesus said unto him i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto me No man cometh unto the Father, I should say, but by me. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But the important thing is that He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the faithful witness of the character of God. He is the faithful witness of the true character of God. He is the perfect witness to the nature of God. In John 18, verse 37. When, when Jesus is bound before Pilate. Pilate says to him, are, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and he said, thou sayest that I'm a king. But notice this phrase. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I bear witness unto the truth unto the truth he is bearing witness unto the truth of the nature of God the book of Hebrews even begins in a way that tells us that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God the Father the exact representation listen you can't get any more clear about the deity of Jesus Christ Than the whole of Scripture. And yet time and time again, I hear people always say, Well, you know, Jesus never claimed that He was God the Son. Yes, He did many times. But the Scriptures always bear it out. He is the first begotten from the dead, as we're told in verse 5. Which doesn't mean that He was the first one chronologically to be raised from the dead. I mean, we, we notice there were people raised from the dead in the Old Testament. And even Jesus Himself raised certain people from the dead, right? Of course, the only difference is, unfortunately, they all had to die again. But not Jesus. Jesus is the only one that was raised from the dead and remains alive. <laughs> and the word for begotten there, or firstborn, is the word prototokos. We get the word prototype from this word. The word prototokos, which means firstborn and first begotten. And it refers to being first in preeminence. First in preeminence. Of all who have ever been or ever been resurrected, He is the the foremost, He is the primary, and He is the principal one. Look at uh, Psalm 89, verse 27. God says, also, I will make Him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. And even though this was in reference to David, it was in reference also to David's seed, which is Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation certainly records the describing and the revealing of that promise. The third title given to Jesus is the the prince of the kings of the earth, and it describes Jesus as absolutely sovereign over the affairs of the, the affairs of this world, to which he in fact holds the title deed as we shall see and study in chapter 5 of book of Revelation. Throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, Jesus is the sovereign king of all the earth. He is the sovereign king of all the earth. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Well, the first uh, uh, book of of Paul to the Corinthian church talks about Jesus as being our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. But special emphasis is given to what has already been accomplished for believers. And this is so precious. Go back and look at verse 5 of Revelation 1 unto him that loved us y'all see that phrase unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood special emphasis is given to what has already been accomplished for us Unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is where we're going to begin next time. On that particular phrase of verse 5, and then we'll press on as far as we can go next time. What a blessing it is to read and to hear the words of this prophecy. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for...